ragazzi, uno, due... Uh, that was the opening music to 1953's Beat the Devil, distributed by United Artists in the United States, and what was the one in uh, the Briti- UK? British Lion Films in the UK. And uh, produced by Santana Films, which I guess was Humphrey Bogart's production company. It was. I think he started it in the late 1940s when he left Warner Brothers. And this was a... This was an independent movie uh, made outside the studio system, uh, filmed on location in Italy, uh, directed by John Huston, and pretty much has an all-star cast, and written by, or at least co-written by, Truman Capote. And we, we, uh, this is the second movie that we've reviewed that had Truman Capote as a screenwriting credit, and if, I think those are the only two movies that he's uh, credited on. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Um, shall we introduce ourselves for our listeners? Yeah, I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm recording in the Seattle area. And I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, and we welcome you to Classic Movie Reviews. You can find us on iTunes at Classic Movie Reviews, or on our website, Classic moviereviews.net and Matt you recently set us up on Facebook right yeah you can also find us on Facebook if you do a search for classic movie reviews.net and that's a d-o-t-n-e-t uh, very good we keep getting on more platforms oh and we have it. an email address now too I should probably mention that <laughs> oh, at least away. I do I do I have a email address it's Matt M-A-T-T at classicmoviereviews.net and you can just send email to us that way and and if it's for Bob I can forward it on to him Uh, or you can leave a comment on our website as well or Facebook page now lots of ways to get in touch with us if you'd like to do that Uh, a little bit of information on this film Beat the Devil it was released in November of 1953 and unfortunately its box office revenues were not very good, uh, so it didn't do much business at the box office. I read somewhere in my research that Humphrey Bogart didn't like the f- movie and said, and I quote, only phonies like it. And then it, I guess he was a bit upset because he lost a lot of his own money by bankrolling it along with some other people. And I wondered after I read that if it changed his relationship with John Huston any uh, because of the uh, low box office for the movie. I don't know. This was the was this the last movie that they made together? I don't know that either. I know that following this movie, uh, Mr. Bogart made seven more movies. The the best of the seven that followed were I think was the Kane Mutiny. 
But I, I don't know if he did any other movies with John Huston. I, I, I just haven't looked that up. Well, let's see. Uh, Moby Dick, no. No, I don't think he did. I think this was the last one. Uh, let me. I'm looking on IMDb here, and by date, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, no. Oh, that's a great movie with Robert Mitchum and Deborah Carr. Yeah, and then Humphrey Bogart died in 1958, right? 57. 57. I think January of 1957, yeah. So yeah, this was the last movie they made together, and they had made quite a few movies. Uh, the last one before Beat the Devil was The African Queen, which was a big success. And we talked yeah, a little bit was... about that last time that we, or at least I do, I have kind of mixed feelings about that movie. That was a big success at the box office, no no doubt about it. And I believe that Humphrey Bogart won the Academy Award for that. Well, this movie also stars Jennifer Jones, and you said that it was quite distracting that she had blonde hair in this movie. It, it, it was to me, yeah, I... It's it's not unlike a movie that uh, Susan Hayward made with Orson Welles in the 1940s, and they were married at the time, and Orson Welles insisted that she dye her hair blonde, and everybody that went to see the movie thought, who is that? doesn't look like her. I felt the same way about Jennifer Jones, because I was used to seeing her with dark hair. Uh, and Gina Lolo Lo Brig yeah, Gita, Gina, right? Lola, Gina Lola Brigida. Lola Brigida. Yeah. Yeah, she was playing uh, Humphrey Bogart's wife in this movie. And Humphrey Bogart plays Billy Dan Ruther. Such a, that's, kind of a strange name. That's quite a name for, for him. Billy. Robert Morley is also in it, and uh, he's, been in, he's been in a lot of movies. Man. Oh, he, yeah, he, uh, he has been. He was in, uh, in, the, in the early 1960s, uh, Agatha Christie film uh, that, it, that it starred uh, Miss Marple. I forget her name. Now, Margaret Rutherford. He was really good in it. He's quite an actor. Yeah, he, he uh, played kind of the fat man role. Uh, we should talk a little bit about how this movie mirrors in some ways the Maltese Falcon. Uh, yeah, that's I, I could see that with their search for the uranium in Kenya. And Sidney Greenstreet Street was uh, Robert Morley in this. And Peter Sellers was in both movies. Although, in this movie, it looked to me like Peter Sellers was confused and kind of lost in what he was supposed to be doing in his role. Peter Laurie, you mean? Wait, oh, well, yeah, what did I say? Well, it's interesting that you say it, Peter, Peter Sellers because... There was uh, a <laughs> Peter Laurie. Sorry, actually, Peter Sellers uh, does do uh, some voiceover for Humphrey Bogart in this film. Uh, there was, I, I guess, there was some uh, issue with the uh, audio, and he was known to have a good ability to mimic other actors. Oh, and well, he's, uh, he's his voice is actually uh, shows up in some scenes as uh, Humphrey Bogart's voice. That's good to know. I apologize to both Peter Laurie and Peter Sellers for mixing up the uh, their their uh, characters. I have another obscure player in the movie. Bernard Lee near the end plays Inspector Jack Clayton, and uh, Bernard Lee was in a lot of the early James Bond movies. He worked for MI six, was it? I think he was 
I think he was M in some of those movies. So we can we can confidently say that this movie does not lack in creative talent and star power. But what That's it seems sure. to lack in a very severe way <laughs> is is any kind of focus or uh, direction in terms of what it's trying to do, I think. Uh, I was looking at my notes. I, I would agree. My comment was, wow, quite a movie. A little bit of a lot of things. Sometimes I wasn't sure where we were going as we watched it. Yeah, because uh, some uh, you had mentioned that Roger Ebert had this on, on one of his best movie lists. Uh, let me see here. I've got that. Yes, uh, amazingly, my, my these are my quotes, amazingly, Roger Ebert included the film in his great movies list, noting that the film has been characterized as the first camp, in quotation mark, camp movie. And that may be true, but I don't think they set out to make a campy movie. Maybe they I did. I don't know. I mean, there definitely are some funny scenes. Uh, there's one... Well, the ending scene where where we find out that uh, oh Jennifer Jones' husband Harry yeah. Chelm Harry Chelm has successfully made it to Africa and claimed the land that the uranium is on, and sends a telegraph to uh, Billy, who's Humphrey Bogart's character, and Billy reads that and just starts laughing kind of maniacally that Mrs. Chelm just came on the ship's wireless. Oh, by the way, Mr. Danrada, do you know that your associates are all in the Who's Gow? Oh, not that I'm a bit surprised. I put them down as thoroughly bad characters, right off the bat. But then there are so many bad characters nowadays. Take mine, for instance. Harry! He's alive! That he actually ended up getting, getting the... Uh... The uranium. I mean, that was kind of funny. After at the end of Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Totally, totally. It's the same kind of kind of laughter. Uh, I thought it was funny how they were they were having to kept they kept having to push their car when they were headed yeah. to the airport. <laughs> that car was something else. It looked like something from that old TV show, The Monsters. <laughs> yeah, and then they they push it, and then it starts going down the the hillside by itself, and somehow amazingly drives itself like way down the the mountainside and then around a, a particularly sharp corner ends up going off the cliff and into the water below uh narrowly missing a bus full of people and uh then they they are presumed dead like billy and uh robert morley's character peterson uh were in were supposedly in the car and they're thought to be dead and so there's all this scheming that happens between the characters as to who's going to take their sh- their share of this uranium wealth that they're trying to get. And and then uh, they show back up at the hotel and 
people are screaming and fainting and they they think that they're seeing two ghosts. It's now an opportunity for you to secure enormous profits with virtually no risk. I won't beat about the bush. Our purpose in going to... For you as Billy's widow, it will be very easy to persuade his friend in British East and, and for capital, we have channel. Quite evidently, you've been misinformed as to my interest. And Humphrey Bogart and Robert Morley are standing there looking at like, what? Why Why are you all so upset? <laughs> that was kind of funny. What's the matter with all of you? Somebody dead? Carl, it went over a cliff. We thought you'd both been killed. Uh, Dan Rother, I'm delighted to see you're alive, but uh, your wife is in a fainting condition. You mean you're not dead at all? Obviously I'm not dead. I knew you weren't dead, I knew it. I counted 13 backwards 13 times. My old Spanish nurse said if you did that, a miracle would happen. And you see, it has. I was intrigued by trying to make a comparison between the Maltese Falcon and Beat the Devil. And some of the, it's the same number of people kind of going after the money, or the uranium. Uh, and uh, the major in this, uh, Beat the Devil, was played by, it was, was, was the gunman in the, the Maltese Falcon. But there were, there were some similarities, but I read where they were they were writing the next day's script, you know, right on site. So the scenes sometimes they just showed up and let's do it now. Yeah, so maybe we should set this up a little bit better. So uh, Billy Dan Ruther is married to uh, Jennifer Jones' character. Uh, sorry, to Gina Lolo Brigida, who's who plays Maria. So that's one couple in the movie. And then we've got Jennifer Jones's character, who's uh, Mrs. Chelm, married to Edward Underdown's character, who's Harry. So that's another character. So we've got these two married couples in this port town in Italy. Robert Morley was Mr. Was Peterson. He's another character. Then there's Peter Laurie as Julius O'Hara. And then there was the Major, who was kind of the hitman. And then there was one other guy with a really weird-looking hat. And I just... Marco Tulli, Ravello, I think. And so all these people are mixed up in some kind of a blender of double dealing, scheming, figuring out how they're going to get the uranium because they're going to be rich when they are able to uh, buy the land and mine the uranium in Kenya. And and it's not... We're, we're, we're like 10 minutes into the movie and we can al- we can already know that Humphrey Bogart and uh, Gina Lola Brigida... Billy and Maria are are not that happily married. You know, if I ever leave you, it will be for someone of the type of Harry Chell. Bully for you. I suppose that type of Englishman is like a story I once heard. An English gardener in England was showing some Americans one of those wonderful English lawns. And of course, they wanted to know how to make a lawn like that. And this English gardener said... He said, all you have to do is get some good grass and roll it every day for 600 years. I heard that story before you were born. Englishmen tell it when they're feeling down in the mouth. Just don't understand the child type. You're not even listening. You never do. Someday I'll say goodbye and you won't hear that either. One day I shall really meet my type and run off with him. And you'll be simply amazed. That's possible. And also, uh, Gwendolyn Chelm and Harry Chelm don't seem to be all that happily married either. And through 
intrigue that's happening in the movie, uh, Gwendolyn and Billy kind of hook up, and Maria and Harry kind of hook up, and so there's this soap opera element to the movie where these two married couples are kind of swapping with each other. The side plot of the two married couples was kind of too much of a soap opera plot to me. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy that plot, and I didn't understand why they were so unhappily married. You know, it, it didn't really come across very well to me. No, it didn't. Wow, this is quite a, quite a crew of people. Yeah, and the, the movie opens with that music, and that music is, is kind of off-putting to me. I don't find it to be at all in sync with what I'm expecting to be watching, and it doesn't really seem to sync up with uh, what we're seeing on the screen. Because the very opening scene is the four kind of bad guys being taken off to prison, and then it's a flashback from there to how they ended up that way for the rest of the movie. When I saw that, when I saw that scene where the music, the opening scene where the music is playing and the people are in the square dancing, it reminded me of a scene in the Guns of Navarone, where Gregory Peck and his team show up at this Greek village, and it's it's almost the same music on a much later film. I think that one was made in the nineteen sixty, but and a much better better film. <laughs> it, the, the music was um, it didn't fit very well to me. There are some funny lines in the movie, though. Like, um, Gwendolyn is trying to figure out who these characters are that are that are parading around town. And it's it's the three kind of crooks. Peterson, Julius O'Hara, and Major Jack Ross. And I think maybe... Actually, I think it might be Ravello, anyway. Anyway, it's, it's, it's part of that crew. And I couldn't figure out, why are they marching? It's like they're marching around town aimlessly. Uh, are they going out for, like, calisthenic walk or <laughs> exercise? I'm not sure. And uh, Gwendolyn... You're a very mysterious group, I must say. Really, Gwendolyn? How so mysterious? Well, for one thing, you all appear to be of different nationalities. Your move, Gwendolyn. Check. I have a theory about you and your friends. Correction. My associates. As a matter of fact, I think you're doctors. Evil ones, I mean. You're going to the heart of the jungle where human life is cheap to perform ghastly experiments which require the sacrifice of thousands on the altar of science. You must excuse my wife. She has a very lively imagination. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a cool line, but it's so weird at the same time. It is. It's. It's like. It seems to me that I could see that they were filming this on a day-to-day basis with new script material, and nobody really knew how it was going to turn out at the end. And if you if you take like each scene, it's sort of like the sum of the parts is not probably what they they thought they were filming when they did each individual scene. You know, like there's there's some scenes that are quite good. Um, there's that scene when they're getting ready to load the ship and it's midnight. I thought that was kind of well done. And there's kind of this intrigue about whether, uh, Gwendolyn and Billy are going to run off together. And, and Billy has this line about how he can't do that because he's going to get rich and, and that's going to make her want him even more. And so they've got to go on this cruise to get the money so that they can be together. And, uh, you know, that wasn't too too bad um there's a scene when uh 
Peter Laurie's character is coming up to talk to Billy. Oh, just wanted to have a little talk with you. Okay, but make it fast. Fast? <laughs> I give you my word, Billy. I, I give you my word I feel to you like, uh, like an older brother. Well, it's not so much the difference of age. It's, uh, it's probably, yes, the reason is because because I come from a culture which is so much older than yours in my country. A child six years old is older in his heart than you'll be at, at, at 60. It smokes, it drinks, it philosophizes. At this rate, I'll be 60 before you get to the point. At the point. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Peter Laurie is sitting in that chair like he's going to be uh, in an inquisition. <laughs> I tell you. But but throughout throughout most of the movie, Peter Laurie just looks kind of lost, like he's got nothing to do on the on camera. I know. I, I another note that I made here is that, uh, and I'm repeating myself, sort of. My takeaway is that the movie is a hodgepodge of character hodgepodge of characters, with not much of an idea where the script is headed. Then I added, maybe they all enjoyed a summer in Italy. It looked like that's what they were doing, kind of making a movie on vacation. Yeah. It's too bad, too, because I think I could see where if they had really focused more on the comedy aspects of the movie and played that up more, that it could have been kind of a dark comedy. In the And I read that some people consider this to be the first blending of comedy and film noir, but I, I really don't think it falls into either category. There's there's scenes and lines that are funny, and there's scenes in, in the movie that do feel kind of film noirish to me, like uh, that scene at the dock when they're getting ready to load the ship, or there's some scenes on the ship where uh, the major is going to go out and kill uh, Harry Chelm that that feel feel more like film noir to me, uh, but. The blending, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me. It just, it just feels really, it was hard for me to get through the movie, honestly, which is yeah, saying I, I something. Yeah, I had trouble too. I had trouble with that also. I, I made it through, but, and I had not seen it before. I thought I had, but when I got into it, I thought, no, I had not seen this before. Uh, a character that, that <laughs> was like really odd was the captain of that ship. <laughs> He was he was drunk all the time, and then they're on board that. I mean, they were all over the place. They're on board that ship, and they've got this well-stocked bar in the ship, and it's just kind of a tramp steamer. And I'm like, wow, this is a five-star bar in a one-star ship. And the the oil pump keeps going out on the engine, and it goes out yes. once, and they kind of get it fixed and up and running, and then it goes out again, and Howard thinks that he's going to go down there and fix it, and we know by this time in the movie that he's a total sham. Like he, he doesn't come from a rich family. He doesn't come from a, a family with any kind of history in England. He was never a part of the services, but for some reason he thinks he's going to go down there and fix this oil pump and ends up blowing up the engine. (laughs) (laughs) He, he has, as Harry, uh, I think his folks ran a boarding house. Yeah, he, they ran a boarding house, and he's got it yeah. in his mind that he's going to go to uh, to Africa, I guess, to... Do we ever find out why they're actually in that town and why he's going to Africa? 
I don't know that we do. If we do, I kind of didn't I don't catch remember. It. But he 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 uh but like I said at the beginning, he ends up actually being the only one who gets the uranium at the end. <laughs> which, I know. Which is totally unbelievable because he jumped off of that ship in the middle of the night. The fact that he would be able to survive long enough to get to shore seems kind of unbelievable because it it seems to take the people on the ship quite a while to row to shore after the ship explodes and starts sinking because it's like the next morning when they actually pull up on the the shore and uh, I I saw I I thought it was funny that uh, Gina Lola Brigida was coming out of that uh, lifeboat in high heels and walking through the surf in these high heels I thought that was perfect oh I didn't I didn't catch that Good old Gina. <laughs> she looks so like uh, uncomfortable. Oh man. Well, um, I don't know. I, it, it's just such an unusual movie with double dealing, double crossing, and lying from everybody. And I, you know, Matt, I I found it hard to put together my notes on it. It's there's it's, I couldn't grab onto anything that was really substantive. It's just a. Uh, mix of scenes that didn't hold together well at all. I hate to mention my rating on this, but but here goes. I I gave it a 4 out of 10, and that may be uh, generous on my part. I don't know. I, I just didn't get into the characters or the plot, such as it was. I totally agree. I, I tried to watch it and take notes like I usually do kind of scene by scene. Right. But I kind of lost interest and it was hard for me to get through it. Just it's kind of sad cuz I really wanted to like it. Like I I just love John Huston and and Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre and the supporting cast that they had seemed like they would be good. And I think I mentioned this earlier today when we had talked uh, that it seems like it's a bit of hubris coming into play like uh, I can imagine John Huston and Humphrey Bogart talk talking about let's go to Italy and make a movie outside of the studio system and you know we've got this great idea and it'll it'll kind of be like this funny kind of dark comedy and you know yeah we don't really have a script yet but hey Truman Capote has has agreed to help us with it so you know we'll, we've got that under control and and it, it just seems like yeah, hubris. Like it, it just it, it kind of got away from them, and they couldn't rein it back in, and they kind of paid the price financially. It definitely it doesn't detract from my enjoyment of their other movies, but it it, it is sort of like an odd footnote in my thinking of 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 them and their careers. I agree because they both did so well and made so many excellent movies. I guess that's everything I have for uh, Beat the Devil. I think it's it's got a few things in it that I liked. It's individual scenes here and there that I liked. Uh, some lines that I liked, uh, mainly from uh, Peter Lorre had some great lines, but I don't think that it was a great movie. It was just an okay movie. I'd watch it once, and then I probably would never watch it again. Have we decided on on uh, what we want to do with our next podcast? We had a lot of different choices. What was the movie that Jacqueline had recommended? The Third Man. Oh, with yeah. uh, Joseph Cotton and uh, Orson Welles. Yeah, that would which be good is, too. Which is really excellent. Why don't we do that one? Yeah, let's do that one. The Third Man.
Do we want to do we want to mention anything about our change in time and stuff, or should we just kind of go it, do it and not mention anything? No, why don't you why don't you throw out just a kind of a brief summary of that? I think it would be helpful. Yeah, one last thing before we go, uh, we had quite a few updates at the top of the show, uh, but Bob and I have decided that we'd like to uh, release an episode every week uh, with the. Uh, with the restriction that we're going to try to keep our episodes to a half an hour or less. And if we need to break, uh, break a review into two parts or three parts, we'll just do that. I think it'll be more enjoyable to, to listeners to stay no more than 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So like the old radio shows. So we had an episode last week and we have an episode, uh, this week and we'll have one next week and we'll, be uh, getting our notes together on the upcoming shows and uh, pro- possibly giving you a preview of that next week so you can you can watch ahead if you want to. But next time we will have The Third Man starring Joseph Cotton. And Orson Welles and it, it's from the late 1940s. I don't have the exact date in front of me but it's very well done. And we can safely say that that will be a much better movie than Beat the Devil. Well, uh, until next time, I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles. And I'm Matt Johnson in Seattle, and we wish you a great week of movie watching. This is the end. You know that the the beat the devil that we just reviewed, that was the hardest one I've done in the year over a year that we've been doing these. It was uh, it was almost painful to watch it. How many ways could we say we didn't think this was very good? <laughs> and when Humphrey Bogart said that he didn't like it, I thought, well, okay, we're not alone. Oh, I forgot to mention that this movie is in the public domain. That oh, you can watch right. oh, it online, well. yeah. It fell out of copyright. I I guess nobody was really nobody really cared <laughs> to keep tabs on it. <laughs> <laughs>